0: Welcome to the podcast Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to start our study of a new book, that is the book of Ezra. We are continuing on the series of books of the Torah that deal with the time period of the early Bayesheni, the early Second Temple period. So we studied together Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi, those are the last 3 of the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah were two prophets who accompanied the exiles as they came back from the Babylonian slash Persian exile to rebuild the Second Temple and to rebuild the um, uh, community, the Jewish community in Judea and Israel, centered around Jerusalem, and Malachi was also uh, was the last prophet, and he was a little bit later than Chagai and Zechariah, maybe a generation or two later, during the early Shani, the early Second Temple period. Ezra, we're going to learn about soon, was a very important and often overlooked figure in the history of the Jewish people. Ezra was the... um religious leader of the Jewish people during the same time period as Malachi that's a, a little bit after the byashane after the second temple had already been built um but it was only standing for a short period of time maybe a generation or two unclear exactly how long and Ezra is generally looked upon as in, as the one as the as the the, the one who designed the transition who the transition between a prophecy-based religion and a um, Torah-study-based religion. Therefore, Ezra could uh, be considered the founder of the rabbinate, the, fa- the first rabbi, so to speak, in the modern sense of the word, meaning a religious leader, one who teaches religion, teaches Torah to the people and how to keep the Torah to the people, but not necessarily through the methods of prophecy. Now, according to Chazal, um, many identify Ezra with Malachi, that he actually was also a prophet. So he, he therefore would signify both the end of the prophetic period and the beginning of the rabbinic period. So his importance in the development and the future of the Jewish religion and the Jewish people cannot possibly be overstated. The first several chapters of the book we're about to read... Uh, don't even deal with Ezra himself, they're basically a recap of the history of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, to Judea, to Jerusalem, to building the temple in the early Bayechenei, the early Second Temple period. One of the things that uh, we're going to see in today's chapter, the first chapter, is a lot of both contrasts and parallels to the story of the Exodus uh, from Egypt. Of course, in the Exodus from Egypt, we, uh, is a story more, uh, most of us are very familiar with. It is one of the Jews who were slaves in Egypt and, and, and suffering under the harsh uh, 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 rulership of, of the Pharaoh, of Pyrrho. And, um, and then um, God, who had made a promise to the forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, uh, saw the Jews in their, in their pain. And came to rescue them from Egypt, and sent uh, his prophet Moshe Moses to rescue them. And we were familiar with the story of all of the Ososim, Osim, of Sim, all the great signs, wonders, and miracles, and then culminating, of course, in the splitting of the sea, eventually receiving the Torah, and then coming to the land of Israel, and so on. Now, the the um, <clears throat> the story being told of the return to the second temple is markedly less dramatic, much, much, much less drama. Our, however, even though there was much less drama, there are some things which we can compare and there are some things which we can contrast. In terms of comparison, the, the the surface comparison is the most obvious, and that is is that the people were leaving in exile. They were under the thumb, they were under the jurisdiction of the Persian Empire, which had t- taken over the Babylonian Empire a little bit earlier. Um, so And and they are leaving that land and coming to the land of Israel to rebuild it and rebuild the Temple of God, which is very similar, of course, just on the very surface sense of what happened in the Exodus of Egypt. But we'll see a few more things as we go through this chapter. And uh, understanding the differences and understanding the similarities are very important, And that's one of the main lessons we're going to try to learn from this coming chapter. So first, some history. This is verse 1. In the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, to complete, uh, in, in the fulfillment of the completion of the word of God, that had been told to Jeremiah. As we know Jeremiah Jeremiah had prophesied that <clears throat> the people would be in exile after the destruction for 70 years and then they would return. The people therefore knew and understood that this um this was going to happen. They were going to go back. Similar to Egypt where there was a promise. God had made a promise to, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that the people were going uh, to his, their sons their their descendants, I'm sorry, were gonna to go to a land they were gonna be enslaved and they would they would eventually be rescued and brought back to the land of Israel. <laughs> Similar here, Yermia Jeremiah received a prophecy from God stating that after seven years of exile the people were gonna return. <laughs> we're very familiar, those of us that studied with us the story told in Daniel, where Daniel had calculated the seventy years, and God then did not had not yet returned the people to the land and and we were familiar with Daniel's very uh desperate plea and prayer to God as, and and crying to God as to why he hadn't rescued the people the answer to Daniel at the time was <clears throat> to make a long story short but it, basically it's that um hang in there it's going to happen basically you calculated wrong but it will happen <laughs> um <clears throat> The Heir, um, so at this point, so <coughs> excuse me, now the time <coughs> has come. So I'm still in the middle of verse one. God aroused the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who was at this point the most powerful leader in at least the known world, at least in that part of the world. Um, God aroused his spirit and and in response to this uh, 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 spiritual arousal that kasss said he made an announcement of great uh, proclamation in his entire kingdom Mihtav and even in writing Lamar is saying as follows now the um the this the the, the extra words vigamba Mihtav and even in writing uh, is is rem reminds us of the importance of the writing of decrees in the Persian Empire. If we remember, especially uh, most famously in the book of Esther, the idea that that which is written, and we've seen this in several other books as well, uh, dealing with this time period, that uh, that which is written in the king in the kingdom of Persia cannot be rescinded. Um, this is how the great bureaucracy of the Persian Empire was run. Once the king writes a proclamation, this proclamation is... Is uh can never be taken down, can never be um, contradicted. So again, here we see a similarity. It's Heir Hashem Koresh As God aroused the spirit of Koresh. In the similar way that we find by Paro in Egypt, where where God explicitly is controlling Pharaoh's heart. He's the one who um is constantly, you know, I'm going to harden his heart, but over here, and so on. But over here, in one way, it's similar, that that the pasuk, the uh, the Torah, the verse is teaching us clearly that it is God controlling the king, the actions of the king. Um, on the other hand, in, in Paro's time, at the after the the tenth plague, uh, the slaying of the firstborn, Paro turned around and finally said, "Get out of here and go right." At that point, it does not say that God aroused him. It's just Pharaoh finally woke up on his own and said, get the people out of here. But over here, it is God telling Koresh, allow the people to leave. I want them to go. This was the proclamation as was written. So says this verse 2. So says Cyrus, the king of Persia. nosan li Adonai all of the kingdoms of the land God has given to me. In other words, I am the most powerful king. I rule over all the nations of the world. And it was who gave the, the, me the rulership over these lands? I, it was God, the, the the God of the heavens. Note several very important things here. First of all. <laughs> He calls God the the God of the heavens, which almost gives a little hint that there's the God of the heavens, but there's also God of this, God of that, and the other thing. So he's kind of saying that God is the most powerful one, he's the one who's the God of the heavens, but he's not letting go of his innate, inborn uh, idolatry, which believes in other gods. <laughs> the other thing is he does not call, that's one side, On the flip side he calls God the Lokah Shemayam, the God of the heavens. He does not call God the God of Israel. When the Jewish prophets talk of God, very often we find the term God the God of Israel. Kadosh Israel, the Holy One of Israel, we saw many terms in reference to God's special relationship to the chosen people. And that's all well and good when you're talking to the chosen people, to the Jews. But when you're talking to the world, or if you are the king of the mightiest empire in the world, you are the Melech Poros, the king of Persia, then when you look at God, you see him as the God of the heavens, not just the God of the Jews. So on the one hand, Koresh is being more inclusive, on the other hand, but when it comes to who God is, he's being less monotheistic and more polytheistic. However, he acknowledges, livnos, no bias, He, God, has now pokad. He has appointed me. Now, this language pakad is also the language used in the Exodus when, uh, to, to denote remembering. God remembered the Jewish people. It also uses the language of pa-kad, right? Uh, so it's, again, a hint towards that other time, that other uh, redemption, that other Exodus and return. So God appointed me Livnos to build for him a house Birushalayim Asher Behuda and the city of Jerusalem which is in the land of Judah. Me kolamo. Then he knows that who is the nation that lives there? That's Yehuda, it's the land of Judah, right? He's still calling it the land of Judah, even though there really weren't any Judeans living there, at least for several generations now, for about 70 years. <laughs> But he knows that the people that are the people of Judah that are still looking and still looking to go back and and have and they the it's their ancestral land. Anyone among you, meaning among the people in my kingdom who are Mikol Amo from from any of his nation of this God's nation, this God has a special nation. We're aware of who they are. Any of you, Yehi Elohavimo, may his God be with him. So here he is saying that this God, who is the God of the heavens, who has appointed me to do this, has a nation that specially worships him, just like every other God that I have in my kingdom have a nation, uh, or a group of people that are associated with that God, so does this one. So any of those people, those Judeans, may he go up to Jerusalem, he now may go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, even as base Israel and I want him to then um, uh, involve himself in building the house of god the, god, the God of Israel. So here the God who aroused Koresh was was the god of the heavens. But the, that God has, which is the na- which is the nation that worships him, and where is his temple built? It's in Jerusalem, and his nation is the nation of Israel. I want them to return there and build him his temple. Because he is the God that lives in Jerusalem. So now he is minimizing the God. He was a L'Kash before, but now he is just the God of the Jewish people and the one that happens to have a house in Jerusalem. So He's he's... Got close to monotheism, but he veered away. But he also recognized the special relationship between God and his people. <laughs> so he acknowledged in the in verse 3 that we just read that some of the people will have a spirit with him and they will arise and go to Jerusalem. But whoever else who um, it remains from and from whatever place they have now scattered to within my realm of my kingdom, wherever he lives, let the people of his place, in other words, uh, the people of his place here means those that are also members of the, um, uh, you know, that live with him, but are also from his people, right? Um, And over here, it, it sounds like Anshem ukomo also might mean um, the the non Jews that live where the Jews live, the ones who are leaving where they live, right? Um, let them lift them up. How do they lift them up? By giving them b'chasef u'vazav silver and gold, u'verachush and valuable items, the and animals, im together with the donations. These donations, together with the donations that the people themselves are bringing to Jerusalem with them for the building, may the people that live near them, who are not traveling to Jerusalem, give them gold and silver and so on. So Koresh here, Cyrus here, is, is basically explaining how this of this Amikdash is going to be funded. Um, <clears throat> Devine Ezra points out that and Anishra means the people that can't afford to do it by themselves. Let them at least contribute money. Now, this is this could be viewed as either a command by Cyrus. I'm commanding you to do it, or it also could be looked upon as permission to do it. That you won't, because it won't be looked upon as some sort of rebellion against the kingdom if you could contribute to this cause. Because um, people may look at it may think, may be concerned that the king will look at it as some sort of rebellion. They're building a new temple, a new capital. But I'm telling you now not to worry about it. You can donate. So it's either permission or a command depending on how you look at it. Some look at it as if it's talking to the Jews that that don't go up can contribute, that only Jews can contribute. Others um, um, understand this to mean those that live with them, not just the Jews that live there, but even the... Um, uh, uh, even the Gentiles that live there. Um, so there's different ways to understand this Pasuk. Now, okay, so let's go on to um, verse 5. Vayakum, so what happened? So people heard, that was the decree. So now, what happened? So Vayakumu Sheha Avos, the heads of the families, the Yehuda for the tribe of Yehuda, of Judah of Vinyamin and Benjamin. We know the, the, the two tribes, the Judeans, were really two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, the other ten tribes by this point for the most part had assimilated into the lands into which they were exiled by the Assyrian Empire several hundred years prior and they were not really part of the picture, although that's not 100% true because there were members of the ten tribes mixed in later and we'll come to talk about them a little bit, but for the most part they were gone. But the families that were intact were the families of Judah and Benjamin. Also, v'yakonim and the priests, v'alavim and the Levites. Everyone, every family to whom God aroused his spirit. So here's a big difference between Egypt and, and leaving Persia. When we left Egypt, everyone left Egypt. But when we left Persia and Babylon... Only those that were only those that were were um, inspired by the Spirit of God, La'alot, to go up to the land of Israel, of note to build it Beit Adonai, Bushalaim, the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Note the emphasis here on building God's temple, but not so much an emphasis on building a nation. It's interesting that when Pharaoh envisioned the people leaving Egypt he envisioned them going out into the desert to worship their god he was able to grasp that but he but the fact that they wanted to also build their own nation and their own country and their own political capital was not on Pharaoh's mind at all and he was obviously very against that here Koresh too is is very keen on having the temple built and one wonders what his ulterior motives may have been maybe he wanted to Get some favor in the eyes of this powerful god to help him, but he was really he wasn't really interested, and people understood that uh, in 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 creating a new power, which could be a potential source of conflict in the future, a potential source that might uh, threaten his power and his hold on his kingdom. And the people themselves too, this it was a spiritual awakening to go build a temple. But the people, as we, as we saw a little bit in Haggai and Zechariah, uh, the people, though, were hoping for a political redemption as well, but this was not something that they could speak about or, 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 or talk about in the open. The sevivo Sam and all of those that were around them, and this is, seems like the tzviv is referring to not just the Jewish people around them, but even the non-Jews around them, chizku bidam strengthened them, with silver, Vazov and gold with valuable items, Vabahema with animals vom and with precious things. Levad, aside from all that had been donated that had been presumably this call, had been donated by the people that were going themselves. <laughs> Again, a similarity with Egypt, where we know the Egyptians gave the Jewish people in Egypt tons of, of valuable items and so on. Uh, as they were leaving Egypt, again, a clear parallel to that time. Koresh, so now the king himself um, is going to contribute also to the the um, rebuilding of the temple, but interestingly he doesn 't take his what 's actually his own funds what he 's going to take are actually stolen funds from the original base hamigdash So the king is not quite so generous. Rather than giving his own money, he's giving back money that really didn't belong to him in the first place. Anyway, but let's see, verse 7. The king Cyrus, He then went and he took out all of the vessels that were vessels that had originally come from the temple in Jerusalem. That Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, whose uh, descendants were conquered, right, by Persia. So now Persia had the Babylonian archives. So he went to the Babylonian archives and took all of the temple vessels that were there. And Nebuchadnezzar had taken these vessels and put them in the house of his God, the God of Babylon. And Koresh Cyrus, the king of Persia, took them out. Okay. He took them out through the hands of Mitrodot, who was the appointed over these archives. He was the archivist, the one who made sure that everything in the archives were taken care of. So, Mr. Das went and he said, okay, temple vessels, he said, you know, open up box number 12, room 4, and this, these are all of the things. He gave them to Koresh, Pais and he counted them out exactly, because apparently the, the Jewish people knew what it was that was stolen from the temple and brought to Babylon and he counted them out and gave them to the prince of Yehuda the leader of the Judeans whose name was Sheish batzar. the identity of Sheish batzar is one of the favorite discussions people have when they discuss this book he's someone that doesn't really show up in many places we know from many places in Haggai Zachariah Malachi we learned that we'll see in uh, here in this book uh, and shortly, that the leader, the Nasi of the Jewish people who, who, brought, who led them from a political standpoint, uh, who led them to the return of the land of Israel, was Zerubbabel, who was a direct descendant of the Davidic line uh, from Yachin, Ye- Ye- who, who was taken, who was the last king who was exiled to Babylon, who lived in Babylon, had a descendant, Zerubbabel, who led the people and Zerub was actually a potential Mashiach, a potential Messiah, which we learned about in the last few books we learned together. Sheish Batsar, who is this? Some, Rashi I, I brings a tradition that identifies Sheish Batsar with Daniel. This is what uh, the Gemara identifies him with, Daniel, which is a very interesting um, uh, uh, comparison. Daniel would have been, by this point, extremely old, um, Probably in his 90s or, or so Because he was a young boy Taken in exile years ago so Let's say about three generations Seventy plus years ago So um, so we're looking at A very, very old man Which would Which might Make some sense Because Sheikh Pashar sort of disappears after this And we find Zerubavel leading It's possible that Daniel was then very elderly and leading the people, but then he would have passed away. Maybe even before the p- people were went back to the um, uh, to the land. And by that point, after Daniel passed away, or Sheish Batsar by this name, it would have been um, uh, Zru Bavel. So that's one possible suggestion that Chazal say that Sheish Batsar was actually Daniel. Another, another, um, a- a- and many of them of Arshim. I identify uh, Sheish Batsar as Zerubbabel himself, uh, which is problematic because later we'll find the two mentioned together, Sheish Batsar and Zerubbabel, as if they're different people. So, but many Mepharshim assume that since we know for, that for sure that Zerubbabel was the one that led the people uh, back to Jerusalem, and Sheish Batsar is here being called the Nasi Yehudos, leading the who's presumably going to lead the people back, so they must be the same person. A third approach, and this seems to be the approach of Rav Sadia it's not completely clear, but that is is that he's just another guy, Sheish Batsar. Was, this was the one who was in charge of the things, and he was a Nasi Yehuda. Maybe there was, uh, and Zerubavel had a different uh, title, or he was also a leader. There was just a different person. So what are the things, what's the numbers, the countings of things, items that were originally from the Beit HaMikdash that were given back to Sheish Batsar, Verse nine, Ve'ela Misparam. This is the numbers of things: Agartalei Zahav Shloshim, thirty uh, golden uh, uh, bowls or basins. Agartalei Chesef Elif, a thousand silver ones. Machalafim Tishav V'Shirim. A chalaf here is uh, referring to a knife, so a, a twenty-nine knives. Kiporei Zahav Shloshim, um, another type of bowl. Thirty gold ones, Kippori Kesef, Mishnim, and and the um and these the these, these double silver bowls, whether they might be two bowls or a double uh, bowl, Arba Meos Basara four hundred and ten, Kalim Acherim Elef, and a thousand other uh, various vessels. all the vessels in gold and silver, Chameshes Alafim Meos, there were five thousand four hundred. Hakol Allah, sheish b'atzar, all of these were brought up by sheish b'atzar im he'elosh together with all of those that were coming up from the exile mi'bavil from Babylon Shalayim to Jerusalem. Thank you so much for studying Ezra chapter one. Looking forward to studying Ezra chapter two and the rest of this book of Ezra together.